This is Toastcaster, your communication, leadership, and learning lab with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 104, the three-eye racer technique for better and engaging storytelling with our guest, Jock McKenzie. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication, leadership, and learning lab. This is Greg Gazin, and we're back with another exciting episode. Today on our episode, we have a special guest, Jock McKenzie. He's a retired teacher principal with a long 30-year career in Red Deer, Alberta. And as a teacher, he's taught mostly language arts to middle school and upper elementary Upon retirement, he took his career on the road, speaking to teachers all across the country. He's also published a book, Essay Writing, Teaching the Basics from the Ground Up. He's also written for numerous magazines. He's currently written a crime drama novel called Dealing with Diamonds, D-Y-M-A-N-S, and he's currently looking for a publisher. He's also began volunteer work with book clubs for inmates at the minimum security unit of the Bowdoin Penitentiary. He's also an avid Toastmaster. He belongs to the Sunrise Toastmasters Club of Red Deer, Alberta. Jock McKenzie, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Greg. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, it's really interesting. I can't recall the last time we actually had a teacher or a principal on the show. <laughs> they were probably held after school. One of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is first I found when I first met you in person at one of our recent Toastmasters conferences, I found you I found you to be quite an interesting individual to talk to, but I also realized that some of the things that we try to learn in Toastmasters or some of the things that we learn by listening to podcasts and reading books are probably things that we could have learned perhaps if we, we had you as our teacher. Thanks very much. And it is fun for me to bump into students who I have taught over the years. It made me feel old the other day. I had a friend say, oh, yes, Heather's back in town, and she's going to be celebrating her 50th birthday, and she'd like for you to be there. (laughs) So when one of my students is turning 50, we know that I'm not a spring chicken, and teaching was great. I loved every minute of it. Uh, That's awesome. I mean, for the most part on our podcast, we talk a lot about communication and leadership. We don't talk too, too much about writing, but of course, talking and writing absolutely have to go together. In language arts, In my day, and I think it's still the same, we had the five strands of language arts, and reading and writing were the two heavy hitters. But speaking and listening and viewing and representing were the other strands. I always thought what you learn in school should not just be schooly, it should have some sort of application to life, and I tried to do that throughout. So we did a lot of speaking things. I tricked my kids. I had them do magic tricks, learn magic tricks, and they would get up to the front and they would perform them. And of course, they had to introduce and talk about them. They learned string games. So they did the old indigenous piece of string or piece of twine or trying to think of the word that was probably sinew, I guess. They would get up and and walk you through a little story, make a teacup, make the Eiffel Tower, make a star, and a whole bunch of different sort of speaking things And then they could do them at parties, they could do them at home, they could share them with their friends. I'm not sure how many did, but it was all good. Thinking back, it's been quite a while since I was in school, and I still recall that we did a lot of writing. We did very little public speaking. And in fact, doing the show and tell or show and share even as a youngster was was extremely terrifying. So you focus a lot on on combining both the writing and the speaking? 
and combining everything. I mean, those all of those strands weave together so nicely. I remember one of the teachers when I was at a school in Aspen Heights, actually, Lucille Gleddy had a little microphone and she had taught grade two and her kids would get up at show and tell. Not only did they have to share their stuff, but she put them in front of a microphone so all the other kids could hear them. And that's a life skill. How many of us in Toastmasters or in the, in the outside world put in front of a microphone just don't know what to do? So every opportunity I could, we did. Yeah, that's true. Is that what you do when you take your career learning on the road? When you speak to teachers, what is it you do with them? As much as possible, involve the audience when I can. Sometimes, mostly teachers' conventions was where I would be going. Yes, as as often as I could, I'd show them all the various ways to make learning real and practical. Can you give us an example of something you would share at one of these conventions? One of my, my keynote speech was something I called Teacher Man, Teacher Ms., and I had a T-shirt made up with a big logo on the front, and I would hide it under a snap-button cowboy shirt that I have. And I would go out there, and I would say, you know what? Every teacher to someone is a superhero. You are like Superman or Superwoman to them. But in this case, you are teacher man or teacher Ms. And I'd rip open my shirt, big red T-shirt with a white logo on the front with a great big TM for teacher man or teacher miss. And then together we would sing the words to the tune to Spider-Man, only the words were teacher man. I love it. Teacher man, teacher man, always follows his lesson plan. And it would go on and on like that. So right off the bat, early in the presentation, people in the audience would be singing a song and, and being reminded, hey, I'm somebody superhero. And what's one lesson you would share with the teachers that you'd, you're trying to get across? I think to tell every student, school is school and life is life. And they're not necessarily the same thing. But you are, whoever you are, Greg or Jock or Janet or Bob or Mary or Gurpreet, you're good at something. And let's find out what that something is. And we're going to have to try a whole lot of somethings. But sooner or later, either you'll find it or I'll find it for you. And together, we'll end up being better for it. And one of those things you find that people are good at or you can help them become good at is is storytelling. Because I know, Jock, <laughs> you're never short of any stories to tell. <laughs> well, telling jokes is one of my favorite things. My wife says to me, you can't remember where you put something, but you'll never forget a joke. But to tell a story... I think it's important that we have hooks to hang things on. And that was one of the presentations that was called Hooks and Things to Hang on. Them. When I taught figures of speech, I had the kids remember the term shampoo, which stands for S-H-A-M-P-O, simile, hyperbole, alliteration, metaphor, personification, onomatopoeia. When it came to short stories, I would say, I'm going to show you the picture of a story. And the kids would look at one another and their eyes would roll. And then I would draw this picture either on the blackboard back in the day or on an overhead projection acetate. Or as time moved on, I'd have a, a little PowerPoint presentation. But it was kind of looks like a bunch of W's jammed up against a box with a Q in it, a staircase leading up to a box with an A in it, and then a short decline afterwards. That was the picture of a story. And then I would label this the picture and say, you have an introduction, an initial incident, a rising action, 
a climax, and then either an epilogue or a resolution. And if you just took those letters, you could have the acronym Three Eyes Racer, Three Eye Racer. So it became my plot of a short story mnemonic. Three Eye Racers, that's, and you label it 3-I, capital R, and then A-C-E-R. Right, yeah. So the two eyes, I, the first eye is introduction. The second two eyes are initial incident. The, the big problem that happens word for word, initial, first, incident, event. It isn't the first event in the story, but it's the first important event that tells the reader, here's the problem. Will Goldilocks be successful? Will the three little pigs get eaten by the wolf? Will the knight in shining armor save the damsel in distress? Will Jock and his wife make it safely to Skokie Lodge? You know, whatever the story happens to be, there's a question. And then the rising action is a series of events. We used to do a kind of a fortunately, unfortunately game in the classroom that lead to, and hopefully the staircase is fairly steep. Something good happens, something bad happens, something good happens, something bad happens, or several, several goods, a couple of bads, and then you get the answer. And then we tie up the loose ends in the resolution. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So what would the beginning look like? We kind of started the story in the middle of the three eye racer, I guess, <laughs> with the Goldilocks. If you go back to any of those fairy tales, they all, almost always start sort of like once upon a time, a long time ago in a faraway place, there lived some characters. Suppose that you're at the office, your boss is giving you a presentation to make, and you have to go in and tell a story. You're going to try to convince somebody that your product is a good product. So you might say to these people, okay, we need to find a when, and it might be now. It's in the present, or it might be in the future. It might be something, this is going to happen. Stories are always better if they're in the present or the past. But So let's go with in the recent past. Where? Probably right where you're living. Might have been on a holiday someplace, if that's where you want to go to. Who? Well, whoever your characters are, obviously you, if you're telling the story, and then probably some antagonist, some evil force that you're trying to overcome. Maybe it's your competition. Then there's a problem. Who has the best product? And then you go through, well, they've got a bigger market share, but we have a better cosmetic approach. You know, it's we've got a really flashy decal that we can put on or a, a logo, but they have this, we have that, they have this, we have that. And in the end, Ours is better because we did this and then tie up the loose ends, answer any unanswered questions, end of story. Wow. <laughs> it's that simple. It's just over and over and over again. It's like how I learned to tell jokes. Somebody tells me a joke. I have a trap line. I tell the joke to my brother. I tell it to my cousin. Tell it to my wife, of course, first. Tell it to the girl who cuts my hair. I have a you know a number of friends. I've, I've, by the time I've told it a number of times, it's my joke. I, somebody says something, oh, I've got a joke about that. Same with the story. If you follow that format over and over and over again, you don't have to think about it. When we sign our names, we don't think about, okay, I'll make a J, I'll make a D, I'll make an M. You just, J.D. McKenzie. Same with Greg Gassim. I'm sure you don't when you were little, laboriously, you would make the letters form them the right way. Right. When you're telling a story now, you just say, hey, I got, a, I got a plan. Run with the plan. Are you picturing, as you're developing this, are you picturing this format in your mind? Are you picturing the template? 
or do you just lay it out bit by bit? No, I think that it's now to me relatively mindless. But when I was teaching students, for them, they would go, oh. Often students had this tremendous enthusiasm at the beginning. Just shut up, teacher. I want to get started. I've got this great story to tell. And they would give you this tremendous detail. And then they'd run out of steam and they'd wrap it up quickly and uh, woke up and it was all a dream. No climax, no resolution. And so you had to say, guys, that doesn't work. Here's a plan. And I would give them, heaven forbid, a worksheet, a handout that they would fill in and say, okay, let's start with who and where. And if you're going to have a conflict, is it man versus man, man versus nature, man versus himself? Give them some some tools to work with in their little toolbox, and they would build a story. And I guess if they built enough stories over time, they would go, it's a simple plan. I'll just follow the basic template. So how have you been able to apply this recently? I mean, obviously telling jokes to your hair, hair your hairdresser is one thing, but are you do you find that you're applying this on a regular basis? Almost every time I'm in some public situation where someone is trying to teach something, I either tell a story or I hear a story being told. And when you're not telling a story or hearing a story, it's eye-glazing time. Because I don't know, it's it's an odd phenomenon that Telling stories just captures people's interest. So if I ever find myself meandering around, I'll go, oops, back up a step. Let's put this into a story. Seems to work. It sounds like me, obviously, you're showing how to build story techniques because I'm thinking, you know, we're always told that the best way to illustrate something is to either give an example or perhaps have a story. But sometimes I've found that people will tell a story but yet we have no idea really what the point is or what the purpose is. <laughs> so true. Yeah. I mean, the story in itself is engaging, but when the story's over, if you don't get the point, time wasted. So I won a little contest not very long ago. There's a magazine called News and Views. It's from the Alberta Retired Teachers Association. And I had a story about my grandmother. My wife and I are often in situations where we're new to something. Because when you retire, you sort of leave your, I left the school system, she left the hospital system, and then you go into a club or an organization. And when you're the new kid on the block, some people wait to be invited in. And other people don't wait. And to to get that point across, I tell the story about my grandmother. Grandmother went to a new church. Nobody welcomed her the first Sunday. She went back the second Sunday, waited, waited, waited. Nobody welcomed her the second Sunday. Third Sunday, she said to herself, I don't know what kind of a church this is, but if I'm not welcomed this time, I'm out of here. Sure enough, at the very last moment, someone came up to her just in the vestibule of the church and said, well, good morning. And how did you enjoy the sermon today? And wasn't those, weren't those wonderful hymns? And she blossomed and said, oh, yes, this is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And, and how long have you been a member of this congregation? And the lady said to her, oh, this is my first time. Point taken. Right? The story goes someplace to prove that you've got to be the one to initiate sometimes instead of sitting and waiting. Make sense? Yeah, no, no, it makes <laughs> sense. 
what kind of tips can you offer for people if they're in a situation where perhaps they've tried to use a story or they've tried to use an example or they've never tried it before. They're trying to find a better way to sell their product or even just create their speech for their club, Toastmasters Club. What are a few tips that you can offer them in terms of getting started using this particular format? I think that as in everything, being prepared is important. If you know that you're going to be in a situation, clearly if you're going to a Toastmasters club and you've got a speech to prepare, you've got weeks usually to get ready. But if you know that you're going to be in either a business situation or a social situation, the same kinds of things happen over and over again. So it's not bad to have something in your toolkit to say, this is a story that I'm going to tell for this situation. I have a blog that I used to use frequently when I retired teaching. I thought I've got all of these ideas. I've got to store them someplace. I put them on the blog, kept it up for a number of years. Still, it gets hits from all over the world. There's probably stuff about my short story plot there. If it isn't, I'll put it back on there. If people don't get it, need to see it, need to practice it, they could go and look at it and go, okay, I'm going to think of somewhere in my life that I need to tell a story and see if what I've got already fits into the formula or needs to be tweaked to be a little bit more engaging. That might work. Yeah, interesting. Always good to have stories in your back pocket, but develop them. Yeah, and you have to have a plot. You have to know who and what and where. You have to know who the good guys are and the bad guys are, or the forces, the protagonists and the antagonists, the forces of, of justice and, and evil. And then you have to build it so that it, it looks like the outcome is in doubt. It could go this way. It could go that way. Oh, it's going to go this way. Oh, that's good. That, oh, 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 that's bad. And then kaboom, we have the answer. Don't leave them hanging. There has to be a resolution. And if you look at them, sometimes you don't need uh, an epilogue or denouement or falling action. There's more names for the last part than, than any other part, and it's the shortest. If you need some loose ends to be tied up, then just tie them up. I'm just thinking a good way to practice would be to either watch a movie, read a book, even look at a kid's story like Goldilocks and see how this format unfolds and then apply it to your own situation or your own story or own personal example. Yep. Used to be uh, a lot of one-hour serial things. There were cops and robber shows, things like that. And I would use those in class, the ones that weren't all blood and guts and gore. And they, <laughs> they would start at the beginning. It would be, say, the... The million, the five was, what was the million dollar man one? Was that what they called it? Six million, million, dollar man? six million dollar man. Steve Austin. Yeah. It would always start with a little bit of who is this fantastic guy? How did he get to have this bionic power? We used to use, do the bionic woman for the girls sometimes, or, you know, to have one male show, one female show. All of this sort of background information was before the first commercial. After the first commercial came on, we would have the initial incident. What is today's problem? And then there would be the rising action until about five minutes that the show went from seven till eight o'clock at night, five to eight commercial, highest moment of, of interest. They would come back after the commercial with the answer, maybe throw in another commercial. And then they would sort of tie up, well, what happened to the bad guys? 
how many years did they get in prison? Did they were they sent to prison but escaped on the way? That could be next week's show. You know, things like that. So that's a great idea, Greg. You know, just watch an hour-long TV show and try to see, hmm, does that fit the formula? You bet it does. If you read to your children and grandchildren, take a children's book and say, hmm, I don't know who the characters are, where it takes place at the beginning, but probably within a page or two, I do. And then another page or two, I know what the big problem is. And on it goes. Geez, I'm just thinking. We can binge watch some Netflix shows and say, honey, I'm doing work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that really sounds great. Yeah, that'll be super if you could update your site. And we can certainly include that in the show notes. And perhaps at the end, when we ask you how people can get a hold of you, you can give us some information there. The one, th- the one thing that I didn't say was that learning this formula for a story is one thing. But as you will know from your life as a student, you, you might have had two teachers teaching exactly the same thing, but one just had a, had a way. There's a, by using his voice, by using his, as we learn in Toastmasters, by connecting with, by looking right at you, by just the vibration, life in his body. I mean, there's storytelling and then there's storytelling. Absolutely. Before we leave, I just wanted to ask you a couple more things, just out of curiosity. What kinds of things you volunteer with uh, with book clubs for for inmates? How does that work? What do you do there? Just started that the other day. There's a gal in Ontario, used to be, I think, a fairly big name with the CBC, Carol Finley. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. About 10 years ago, started a book club for inmates fairly near to where her home is, and now has started over 20 book clubs for inmates at men's prisons, women's prisons, maximum, medium, minimum security prisons. She flew out here specifically to take us, four volunteers, to the Bowdoin Annex. There's one at the, in the, the medium security prison there already. So the gal, one of the gals from that club came along, met with nine inmates, because that's what it is, book clubs for inmates, introduced the first book, kind of went through all the rules. And every month now for the rest of the year, we will do a book a month and share and pick their brains and they'll pick each other's brains and give their thoughts. What's the outcome or what's the goal here? I think the goal is to sometime sooner or later, these folks are going to come back into society. And while they're incarcerated, they have to have something that, that brings them joy, that that gives them hope, that makes them a better person, that maybe turn helps them turn a corner because they turned a wrong corner. And as we all know, there is just a world of information and learning and life experiences that you can get when you can't get to the place where those experiences are. When you have nowhere to go, go to a book. That's awesome. That's really that's great. I think so. I, I'm excited about it. My wife's excited about it. Uh, the other volunteers are are pumped, and I'll tell you, these inmates were just glowing. They were so thankful and appreciative that I don't understand <laughs> never having been in that position, what it would be like. Yeah. And your book, I know it came out in 2007, Essay Writing, Teaching the Basics from the Ground Up. I assume that was geared towards the grade school or high school, and is it still available? It It is still available. I think it's it's probably seen its its finest hour. Uh, it was written to replace one that had already seen its hour. And these things, I think, have a shelf life of a certain amount of time. 
it is still available from Pembroke. It's online. I'm going to, I'm sort of been connected with a number of homeschooling people of late. So I've purchased a number of boxes full and I think I'm going to use them there. I, I think it's a great book. It, it's just all the things that worked for me, but it, it is dated. We've got a lot more computer involved things that uh, it doesn't address. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I did go through it. It actually has some really good basics, things that I've sort of forgotten that I probably should remember every once in a while. Yeah, no, I think it's very good basic stuff. Well, Jock McKenzie, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. You've certainly taken me and hopefully taken our listeners back to school just a little bit. But I think that some of the things that you shared here today with the three eye racer and the story plot outline, I think can certainly be used whether you're in a social setting, whether you're in a business setting, or whether you're even just in a Toastmasters club. And I think the information is valuable, whether you're putting together a written work or even a verbal work, whether you're giving a speech or, or a presentation. How can people get a hold of you if they want to reach you? Well, I do have a blog, jockmckenzie.wordpress.com. If they just Google me, they can find out. The blog site is called Teacher Man, Teacher Ms. I'll put the short story stuff front and center. And I have a Facebook page. Okay, sounds good. Jock McKenzie, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. Real pleasure chatting with you. It's the first, first podcast I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and I'm usually the one that's doing the interviewing as opposed to being interviewed. So that's an interesting twist. It's a skill, and you do a good job. Thank you. That sounds really good. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the experience. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies. A new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.